0: Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to share another experience from Nderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. And this is the experience of Sherry. She says, I've had many out-of-body experiences throughout my lifetime. Each one has been completely unique. The first one that I remember consciously was at nine years of age during a surgery. I believe that one was a near-death experience, The out-of-body experience I would like to share with you today happened approximately four months after my son passed away due to brain cancer. He was 19 when he was diagnosed, and he lived for 15 months before passing. My son was the most beautiful human being I have ever known, and his illness, surgeries, treatment, and passing shook me to the core. He had always been such a gift to me, and i love him with a depth of love that cannot be, uh, that i cannot describe in words at the time of this out of body experience i was not sure if i could continue on in my life with the amount of grief and sadness i felt it was in the morning uh, or the early morning hours that the out of body experience happened i was relaxing but still staying in bed my husband was out of the house very early for a morning shift. I believe it was probably 4.30 or 5 a.m. I felt the familiar feelings that I experience when an out-of-body experience is about to happen. There is a rushing sound, and I feel as though my being is moving under my skin. All of a sudden, I was out of my body and in a place that was beautiful. I didn't feel any traveling to get to this place, I was just suddenly there. I would describe my surroundings as lush, green, and manicured, as though a gardener took great care to make this place beautiful, but not in an orderly flowerbed type of way. The trees were large and full with many colors of greens, and some with wine-colored leaves. There was a brick paved driveway that had a small rise. I didn't see any buildings or structures at this time. At the top of the rise, on the brick driveway, stood three male figures. I knew immediately that the middle figure was my son David. He looked up, and instantaneously I was in his arms, and he had picked me up and was twirling me around and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. The words are beautiful, but they are not just words, or maybe not words at all. I could feel his message all through me, and I was sending the same love, or the same I love yous back to him. It was the most love I have ever felt, and it was everything. I don't know who the other young men were. They seemed to fade out of view, and it was just David and I. I know that we had some sort of conversation, and I know that he took me to meet others, but I do not have any of those details now. I am aware that, for some reason, I could not bring that information back with me. Suddenly I was back within the confines of my body. This experience gave me the strength that I needed so badly at that time. I was able to carry on further. Approximately 2 or 3 months later, I had another out-of-body experience that happened in the early morning hours while I was awake and conscious. Again, I was transported instantly to a place. This landscape couldn't be more different than the first meeting with David. It was arid and dry with small sagebrush types of growth. There was a narrow small body of water below a small hill. There was a lot there are large mountains where I live, but I have been to other locations where what I call rolling hills are called mountains. These were dry rolling hills. On top of one of these hills, there was a fairly large group of people. I was across the other side of the water from the hill. The place where I was standing had simple looking cement paving and some type of railing with a building behind me. I absolutely knew that my son was on the other side of this water. All of the people were in, that, in the same age group as David. They were playing a tournament-type game, partnered up and trying to get the other person to fall into the water below without using their arms. As soon as I was scanning the group for David, he suddenly was beside me. At this point, David was surprised that I was there, and I believe that we conversed, or thought, about why. I believe he was satisfied with knowing that I just needed to see him and know he was all right, just strongly missing my son. David took me to the building that was like a classroom setting. I was introduced to all of the beautiful young people there, and I was able to sit in on the lecture or class. I have no awareness of what was taught or said, but I feel that I know it on a deeper level somehow. These two out-of-body experiences helped me to be able to continue on with my own life. The grief and sadness have been extreme, but seeing my son and knowing that he goes on and is incredibly well and no longer in pain have helped me be able to live my own life. I have had other out-of-body experiences before and after these two experiences with David, but I have to say, these two were the most amazing. That's the end of Sherry's experience. Very cool. Very cool. This is an interesting one because it is not a death experience. I, I'm not even sure if this would qualify as a shared death experience because it is so much later than the death Itself. She certainly is mourning her son still, but let me just check. Yeah, four months after her son passed away, so it's quite a bit later. And my guess, I mean, again, I, I hate to draw conclusions that I really have no idea of, but when she says, I've had many out of body experiences throughout my lifetime, I would not be at all surprised if she had a near Dying experience or potentially near-death experience as a baby, or you know, even in your utero sometimes, but um, a very close brush with death, maybe even um, just at a at a young age, you know, five, six, whatever, and uh, that, and and she does say the first one that I remember was at nine years of age during a surgery, and so it's possible that that was the first one. I mean, it sounds like. This is much later because she has a son who was 19, so it is obviously much later. But um, it seems that when one has a close brush with death, one usually has a crack in the veil. And that crack in the veil makes them more susceptible to near-death and out-of-body experiences later. Sometimes immediately, sometimes much later. In fact, there's often an afterglow time, as I would call it, um, where when somebody has either a near-death experience or they have, maybe they have a near-dying experience, um, where when they come out of it, they've got this glow about them that, where they just love everyone, they feel incredible connection to everyone, and that can last anywhere from, you know, uh, minutes to hours to days um, to months. Um, months is not uncommon, in fact. Um, But that that afterglow usually wears off. However, the the after effects usually seem to show up either immediately after or considerably later. So, you know, it could be a year or two years after the near-death experience, and then all of a sudden they start finding that they can sense things that uh, they couldn't sense before. So it's either immediate or it comes later, whereas the afterglow is immediate and lasts anywhere from, you know, minutes to months. Or sometimes people don't have any afterglow at all, especially with the suffering and pain of coming back to a nearly dead body. I mean, people come back in just such agony that even if they have those kind of gifts, they may not be able to even notice them because of how loud the pain is. But uh, interesting. Um, But in this experience, she is just having, uh, you know, it it sounds like it's the kind of experience where uh, she's still, yeah, she's relaxed and still laying in bed. And uh, so many would say, well, it was just a dream. Well, that's a nice idea, except that it fits so cleanly with a near-death experience that I don't think it's fair to say that it was uh, um, just a dream. In fact, it, there is a list of questions on the website that uh, um, you know, just, just little little snippet questions that, uh, uh, that are just follow-up questions. And one of the questions is, was the experience dreamlike in any way? And she says, not, or he says, she says, sorry, she says, not at all. So it's not at all like a dream. Um, However, I do find it interesting. The description she gives, she says, I felt the familiar feeling that I experience when an out-of-body experience is about to happen. She says, there is a rushing sound and I feel as though my being is moving under my skin. All of a sudden I was out of my body and in a place that was beautiful. Now, you know, I've mentioned before that I've had many lucid dreams, and, and uh, um, these dreams are often accompanied by a sensation that seems to fit many of the descriptions given. And lucid dreams are obviously more lucid and more vivid often than regular dreams. And I don't know if they have any spiritual meaning at all. I, I have my doubts. However... I wouldn't be surprised if that sensation that accompanies a lucid dream is the sensation that accompanies an out-of-body experience. And I only say that because the descriptions that are given seem to match it so well. Some people say, it's like my whole body was vibrating. Some say it, was, it felt like electricity. Some say it, felt like, it feels like uh, tre- some kind of tremor. Um, others like, like this one describes it as feeling like, um, she is moving under her skin, which is, it, all of these sound weird. She says a rushing sound too. That's kind of an interesting one. Uh, I'm not sure if I've heard that before. Other kinds of sounds, um, that people will hear is a tinny, a tinny, a, let's see, tinnitus kind of a sound. That's the ringing in your ears kind of a sound. They'll sometimes hear that. And remember, these are not, you know, it's not like every time you hear a rushing sound, it means you're having an out-of-body experience, or if you feel that vibrational sensation, that you're having that kind of experience, or tinnitus, or whatever. It doesn't mean any of that. However, it does seem that something about the mechanics of the experience of leaving the body often includes some of those sensations. You know, you can't, you wouldn't call a cough you wouldn't say, it, if you have a cough, well, you obviously have, you know, um, tuberculosis. I mean, it, you it could be any number of things. It could be a virus. It could be, you know, just a, a speck of dust in your lungs or whatever, you know. There's any number of things that a cough could mean. But if you have tuberculosis, you're likely to cough. And so I think that's kind of the way I see this, you know. Um, you may have in lucid dreams sensations that are similar to an out-of-body experience, but it may not be an out-of-body experience. However, if you feel that, just make a note of it and say, well, maybe this is going to be an experience, maybe not. And if you find yourself, um, you know, getting in a a fist fight with Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, then it's probably a dream, (laughs) just so you know. But, um, then we've got, uh, she talks about the surroundings. It's interesting that, uh, that some, uh, did she say cement or concrete? What did, how did she say that? A driveway, I think, is, is the wording that she says. There's this uh, driveway, yeah, a brick paved driveway that had a small rise. And then at the top of this driveway stood the three people, and uh, these three men. And the, the one in the middle is her son. She never knows who the sec- the other two are. Um, but then in her second experience, she says, um, the place where I was standing had a simple looking cement paving and some type of railing with a building behind me. And so this time it has a building, but there's pavement of some kind, uh, cement of some kind. I don't know if there's any significance to that. Probably not. It's just unique and it comes up in two of her experiences. So um, if I was her, I would probably make note of it and and kind of, I don't know, might do what would be otherwise considered a dream assessment of the uh, experience. Because often it's not that, I don't think it's that our our expectations create what feels like a reality. I think it's that our expectations and our understanding of things, our beliefs, beliefs, and so forth, inform the location that we choose or end up going. I think it's that uh, that we see and experience things that could be construed as being from our own minds, but not because the things are actually weren't there before and appear because we thought of them, but rather because we feel drawn to those things in some deeply, deeply subconscious way. And I'm under the impression that even the spirit of a person has some kind of subconscious. I don't know, that's deep. It, you might say that, that, it, that it's their intelligent consciousness um, that is the deeper part of The spirit. I don't know. I don't know, Um, and it could be that part which doesn't necessarily feel a dependence, feel as if it has a dependence on individuality in order to exist. I don't know. I'm going really weird and deep there, but uh, if you want to hear more about my thoughts about the intelligent consciousness. Um, there is an episode, I believe it's called something like that. Intelligent Consciousness. Anyway, if you would like to contact the podcast, you can do so by um, emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or you can call 970-NDECAST and that will give you three minutes. And if you can't finish your message in three minutes, just call back keep calling back until you get it all in another thing you can do is record your message on your phone using something like um easy voice recorder or if you have some kind of you know thing to record phone calls or whatever um just use that and then email it to near death experience at gmail.com and i would love to include it on the show and with that thank you all of you so much again for listening